Colossians 3 is where we're turning this morning. Colossians 3 and verse 10 is our text, and verse 11, Lord willing, as we look at the the uh, final thoughts that Paul has in this section. Of course, this section goes for quite a while yet, actually into chapter 4, but as we are looking at this uh, text beginning at verse 10, we realize it's in the context of our new identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. We have died with Christ, and we have been raised up with Christ. We have been seated with him in the heavenly places. We are new creatures, and therefore, if we're new creatures, then things ought to change in the way that we live our lives. We should not be bound or in practice of those things that used to characterize our lives apart from Christ, those lists of sins that we could read about in verse uh, 5 and verse 8 that are listed there, and I'll read it for us in just a moment. But those sins which used to just, that was us. That's that's what the world, I mean, you look at the newspaper, you look at the the uh, the news feeds various places, you realize, man, this is a mixed up place and there's so much, so much evil and so much uh, deception and so much immorality and uncleanness and vitriol, just hatred for one another and, and anger just is all over the place. And, and we're so quick to judge one another and so quick to, uh, you know, what's the, what's the phrase? Uh, uh, judge and jury and executioner all just all wrapped into one. We pass judgment. We are the ones. We're the final arbiters of what is right and, and appropriate. But so much of the world is off base, not based on the scripture. So what kind of authority, what kind of basis can they have? We Christians are not to find a reason for boasting that, oh, we're, we're God's favorite. Well, Jesus is God's favorite. Thankfully, we're attached to him. And so when he looks at us, when God the Father looks at us, he sees his son, which is amazing to think through. And yet sometimes he kind of peeks around Jesus and looks at us, who we really are, and he says, you need to change. There's some things about your life that are not lined up with my son. Can't you be like your big brother once in a while? Have you ever had that pressure? Uh, I have an older brother, and maybe some of you all do too, and you, you just always compare it against your brother. Well, imagine being compared to Jesus. Imagine Jesus' half-brothers being, can't you be like Jesus once in a while, James or, or Joseph, and, and the sisters as well? But God, thankfully, looks at us through grace, through mercy, through the righteousness that is in Christ, not, not ours. Our righteousness is a derived or a gift righteousness from God himself. We're going to read, beginning in verse uh, 4, Colossians 3, down through verse uh, 11, I think I have again on this, on this, uh, in this text here. And then we'll look at those verses I mentioned. It says in verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also lay them all aside, wrath, anger, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you put off the old man with its evil practices, and have put on the new man who is being renewed to a full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all." 
This is the wonderful scripture that, that God has given to us this morning. We've looked at these verses leading up to it. Beginning in verse 9, he presents a contrast. Inasmuch as we've seen it already, the contrast between being dead in our trespasses and sins and now being made alive together with Christ, raised up together with him. Here we have the contrast, double contrast that I mentioned or introduced last week. That's the contrast between putting off, having put off, and then in the next verse it says, and have put on, verse uh, 10. So verse 9, having put off, and now in verse 10, having put on. These are statements of fact that God has removed that body of flesh. We saw that back in chapter 2 earlier, when not the circumcision made with hands, but the, the whole body circumcision. We have been uh, cleansed and separated from our sin, not Ultimately, not perfectly, we still dwell in our human bodies. We look forward to that resurrection, the redemption of our bodies. But in the meanwhile, we realize, wow, this new identity we have in Christ, this is amazing. This is amazing. I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to be a slave to those things that used to just domineer my life and, and take control of me. No, you have put off. And here he gives us the second contrast between the old man and the new man, the old Person, we're not talking about uh, you know old uh, people. We're talking about the previous or the the who you were born in Adam to be. We were born in sin. We were born both in by our nature, being subject to a wrath, being subject to the uh, imperfections of of being a human in the cursed world, and yet uh, also we made choices. So it wasn't enough that we were in Adam, in our nature, and because of Adam, you know, all sin and all die. But we affirmed that. We ratified every time that we sinned, when we chose the wrong thing to do, when we disobeyed God and his word. It's not just that that we're, we don't have a responsibility here. Well, I couldn't help it. I was born in Adam. So, no, we affirm that every time. We are responsible for our choices, for our behavior, for our attitudes, even the way that we think. We're responsible for these things. So Paul says, you have put off that stuff, that mode of thinking, that enslavement to sin. You could read Romans 6 also to realize more about that. The, the man who was, was formerly enslaved to wickedness, unrighteousness, sin. You don't have to be. You are not enslaved to that anymore. Present yourself as slaves to righteousness unto God. And so this contrast is having put off. And put and having put on, and now you've put off the old man. You're you're not that person anymore. There's a new uh, creation, a new creature. The wonderful text in Second Corinthians five seventeen says, uh, "There is therefore well as Romans eight one uh, there in Christ there is a new creation." Is the essence essence of what that that verse Second Corinthians five seventeen uh, says? We are brand new, and you think, well, you don't look brand new. You're certainly not acting brand new. But what what are we about? We have been born, like Jesus said in John 3, born from above, born again. We're being renewed, as it says, notice this in verse 10, verse 9, rather, it says, the old man with its evil practices, or as a parallel thought in Ephesians 4 says, being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. The old man, we think, oh, but it was so nice back in those days. You know, I had such a carefree lifestyle, and, and I, I, you know, I did whatever I wanted to do, and you know, there was some, but it was really good. And what, we look back on that those times, and we think that is corruption, that is decay, that is death. There's a reason why it's called the old man. When we look back and say, boy, that that's that's not pleasant to look at, as opposed to this new 
person that I am in Christ and what is being renewed in me. So I am both new and being renewed. I have been justified. I have, have been sanctified and I am being sanctified. Justification is being declared righteous. I am forgiven. Amazing. I can be forgiven of my sins. Yes, in Christ our sins can be forgiven. But you can also live a life that is honoring to God, living out your new identity in Christ. It says here in verse 10, you have put on the new man who is being renewed. And this is where we can pick it up. We ended kind of at that new man idea. This new man, our new identity in Christ is being renewed. It is being formed and fashioned. Well, who's doing the renewing? Well, it's it's a process, a project of both God and and the individual believer. God is active to renew us. Uh, Titus 3 talks about the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit indwelling us that conforms us to Christ, as we'll see here in this verse even. It is that truth that Paul says in Galatians 5, don't walk according to the, to the flesh, for the, the works of the flesh are very evident. He gives a whole list. And he says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you still are characterized by those things, as John would say in his first epistle, we don't, we should not continuously sin in those ways that we used to do it, or we see the world celebrating it, all this wickedness and, and, and unrighteousness. No, we live a different life. We live not sinlessly. We can't do that. We need a Savior every day. We need the cleansing. We need the washing. It's a reason why John in 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sins, and not just back then, you know, when I trusted Christ, I confess my sins, and if anything, any other sins come into my life, I'll make sure God knows about it. Excuse me? Any other sins come into your life? Are you think you're perfect? Even Paul, at the end of his life, says, I'm not perfect. I have not yet attained this. I press on toward Christ-likeness. Uh, Philippians 3 discusses that. This is something that is the earnest desire that each of us should have in Christ, having been placed upon the foundation of Jesus, having a new identity in Christ, having a new heart that is oriented toward him, having been forgiven of all of our sins. We're not going to bear punishment for our sins. That should change the way that we live our lives the way that we look forward to the future, that should change the way that we interact with each other as well. There are a lot of ramifications to it. Realizing that sanctification is a work of God in us, but also a personal responsibility to forsake the the desires of the flesh, to walk in the flesh. No, we want to walk in the spirit. We want to walk under the power, the, the dominion, the, the leadership, the care, the uh, empowerment even of the spirit, not left to our own selves, how much is our strength? Strength is, you see the top of my thumb? That's our strength. That's my strength. But God's strength is immense. It's beyond this universe kind of immense. Wouldn't you rather rely on his strength? Wouldn't you rather, as Paul said, in my weakness, in my inabilities, I find God's strength is made perfect. Wow. When we realize that we have a responsibility, yes, we need to choose the right, but it's God's power that carries us right through it. And even when we realize I'm at the end of my capacity, we rest on the knowledge, my new man, who I am in Christ, is being renewed to a full knowledge. Which kind of comes back to the question, well, how do we do this thing? How do we do this sanctification? How do we do this renewal from, from our perspective? So much of our renewing, our sanctification, starts and in some degrees ends in our minds, what we think. 
You remember how Paul said it in Romans 12 and verse 2 that we ought to not be conformed, you know, pressed into this world's mold, but to be transformed, to be marvelously changed. How do we do it? By going to church every Sunday. Didn't you read that? Romans 12, 2, going to church every Sunday was in there, right? Or or paying your your, ta- your tithes and your taxes, you know, God and country kind of stuff. No, by the renewing of your mind, the way that we think, because we don't often recognize how much our thinking is, is uh, I forget even who, who coined the term, um, stinking thinking, just wrong, wrong-headed, wrong. It's off base. It's not according to the book, which is to say this one, this book. It's not God's perspective. We struggle. We don't always trust the Lord for help in that time of testing, the time of testing that God intends to uh, prove himself faithful, but he also intends to prove our faith in him, to prove our steadfastness in him, to prove even that that we are born from above, that we're not subject to the corruption of the world. We are in Christ. We can trust him. We find even through affliction and pain, God is faithful. It's interesting how God uses, in terms of this renewing or being renewed to a full knowledge, how he uses as I mentioned earlier, the affliction and the suffering in our lives. Uh, Psalm 119, somewhere in there, he says, uh, I was glad that you afflicted me, for then I have learned your law, something like that. He says, you think, wait a minute, you're thankful for affliction? What kind of guy are you? What kind of crazy man are you? Realizing that through suffering and through difficulties, we realize there's so little that we can rely on in this world. We, we rely on our health. We rely, you rely. Do you plan to take your next breath? Let's see. Do you, do you intend to have your heart continue to beat? I mean, how much control do we really have over these things? How much control do you have over the person that is driving in the lane next to you as you drive home? There's so little that we can put our, our confidence in. Our, our understanding, we, our, our, our perception is limited. We only see what's in front of us. We only hear what's within our, our ear range, our hearing range. So much is beyond us, and yet we realize through affliction, through pain, through suffering, God is big. God is able. And that's not just to say God is able. God is loving and good in that situation. And it's not even that. He has a good intention. He has a good purpose in this. Notice it says being renewed to a full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. According to the image of the one who created him, God's purpose in suffering, God's purpose in the difficulties of life, just the relationships, just daily life, having a changed thought, changed thinking, changed perspective on life, is that we'd be made according to the image of the one who created him, the image of the one who created him. Who's What is the image? It's Christ himself being made more like Jesus. That's the goal. Do you remember, and this is a celebrated text back in Romans 8, uh, God works out all things for good. Oh, everything's going to turn out hunky-dory and it's going to be fantastic. Well, have you read the the last part of Romans 8? Uh, maybe we need to get there, but Romans 8, 28 says, uh, he, all things work to good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For, and this this is the the process or the the, the, the goal, the, the way that we are. This is the good things that, these are the good things that God intends to do in our lives. Verse 29, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed, what? To the image of his son. 
so that he, Christ, would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. That is the promise that God has made. Uh, Philippians 1, 6 says, He who began a good work in you, this justification and, and the uh, cleansing, he'll be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. Complete it in the sense of continuing it, building it, and then bringing it to, to completion. Uh, bring it to perfect fulfillment, this glorification we look forward to. God is faithful to his word. He promised he would do it. And he has not left us as orphans. But you notice at the end of, of chapter 8, uh, the, again, wonderful verses, 37, 38, 39. Uh, in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loved us in Christ, and he, whether there is death or life, whether there are principalities, powers against us, or whichever, Nothing is able to separate us from that love that God has for us, that identity we have in Christ. I kind of skipped over those other things where it said, uh, verse 35, uh, what will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Well, I hope not. I hope none of those things separate us, me, separate me from God's love. And he, of course, he says, I am convinced that nothing is going to separate us from God's love. God is faithful. And so through all these things, we're being renewed apart from relying in ourselves, relying in our uh, checkbook balance or our savings or retirement funds, not relying in our, uh, on our health or our heritage or our housing, I'm thinking of other H's. It's a pastoral thing. I don't know, preacher thing. Fine alliteration. But we find uh, if there's any cause for boasting outside of Christ, then we are off base. We need to be renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. God is making us to be like Christ. Christ who did nothing apart from the Father's will, who always, always, always did the Father's will in the power of the Holy Spirit. We studied that as we looked uh, in the Gospel of Luke, studying through that, realizing that Jesus was totally submissive to the Father. There was nothing that Jesus wanted or uh, did that was contrary to God's God the Father's uh, intention for him, even in the garden. It was a battle, but Jesus won that battle in the garden, and certainly going on to the cross and the grave and the, and the empty tomb. But he said, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was a student of the scriptures. You think how he wrote the scriptures. What are you talking to a student? He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. He learned obedience. Yes, Christ learned obedience. He learned, he practiced the submission that a, a son ought to have to the father, any father. He is that image to whom or into whom we are being conformed and made. And that's good news because, again, the, the, the full knowledge that we are being renewed, not so that we'd be just like our old selves, not so that we'd be just a little bit better than, than who we are in the first place, not that we would be like, I don't know, some superhero or some politician or some celebrity or some uh, preacher even, that we'd be conformed to him. Even Hebrews 13 says, uh, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their conduct, imitate their faith. It's not enough just to imitate their conduct. Imitate their faith. Don't be just like that person. Be like Christ. 
the orientation we have toward God. That's what he's after, that we're being renewed. This is, this is a constant uh, or a continual thing. Whereas the having put off and having put on, that's a past action, that we are in Christ, and therefore those things, the old things have passed away, new things have come. And now we have this process of sanctification, what we would call progressive sanctification, which kind of, if you're into the stock market at all, uh, you realize that over the last however many months or years, the stock market has gone up. Well, I should go this way. The stock market has gone up, and yet, well, no, from your perspective, it's this way. Sorry. And yet it's going up, it's trending up, but it's got a lot of ups and downs, some whoa down there, but it's it's trending upward. We look at our lives and we realize, I see some ups and downs, I see some some joys, I see God being strong on behalf of, of uh, the ones whose heart is complete toward him. But then there are those times, like Peter on the Sea of Galilee, not getting his eyes off of Jesus and looking at the wind and the waves and began to sink, and he cried out a wonderful prayer. Again, you ought to memorize this one. Lord, save me! That's a great prayer because it recognizes I have nothing. I am empty. I am zero. You reach out in faith to Jesus and you find him, the anchor, not the anchor. That's kind of a bad analogy in that, in that context, right? You don't want to go into the bottom of the lake. You want to be saved and delivered. That's what Peter was because he looked to, to Christ. We are being renewed to Christ's likeness. He is the image of the one who created him. This kind of brings out the, uh, uh, the thought perhaps back in Genesis one that God created man and woman, male and female, in his image. And we are what we would call image bearers of God himself. You, you can't say that about puppy dogs and horses and, um, I was going to say chihuahuas, which are a kind of dog, I understand, uh, uh, or, or other, no animal, no plant has been made in the image of God. Only people, only humans are made in the image of God. And yet, that image has been marred. The image that would relate to our personality, our thinking, our emotiveness, our responsibility, our, our culpability even before God uh, are all contained in that idea and, and much more about that image. But here it brings the idea, we're not just being made to be more like Adam. No, in Adam, all die. That's where death comes. Through Adam, we want to be made according to the image of the one who created him, the image of God himself which we've realized earlier, uh, Colossians 1 and verse 15, talked about Christ being the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the one. And Hebrews 1 also talks about that, the image, the uh, likeness of God himself. The, he is the express image of the invisible God. Or how does it say that? You look up in Hebrews 1. Realizing we're not just being made a better person of who we are or a better person like those people that we admire in life and history even, we're being made in the image of God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, conformed to holiness, righteousness, justice, truth, things that we just don't see. Those would be uh, valuable commodities in this strange, mixed-up world. And yet we have that. That's given to us. We have a new foundation in Christ. We are being renewed according to the image of the one who created him. It'd be something for God to, I don't know, having created everything, and realizing everything has gone away from me, rebellious against me, it'd be something for God to be kind of judgmental, that he would find condemnation, he'd find fault with with evildoers. And we think, boy, that'd be, that'd be, wait a minute. God does find fault with evildoers. God does judge. God does condemn evildoers. And to realize that he's the one who makes the way for that corruption, that decay, that that condemnation to be taken away. 
and that we can be renewed, be just like him, be just like Christ, not becoming God. We're not claiming that. Paul's not claiming that. But to renew, be renewed according to the image, the, the reflection even of, of God, that, that when he looks at us, he sees himself. And we think, when God looks at me, I, when I look at myself, I don't see God. I don't see Christ. How can he do it? Because of that wonderful truth of substitution that Christ died in our sins. He died. He paid my penalty and my right, my unrighteousness rather was placed upon him. His righteousness is granted to me as a gift. And now I have a new foundation for life. Now I have his Holy Spirit indwelling me. Now I can for the first time obey and honor my Father in heaven. Remember we studied in, in uh, Colossians 2. We used to be at enmity, you know, declared warfare, open warfare against God, rebellion. God, you say this, I'm going to do that other thing, that con- opposite thing. Romans 7, Paul says, I wouldn't have known what coveting was unless the scripture said, do not covet. And then that's the, that's the thing I wanted. I just lived for coveting or lying or deception or anger or any number of things. And God has made us different. He's made us to be like him. If God is the one who called all things into existence, and we sang a song that he upholds all things by the word of his power, by his voice, he sustains all of life, then don't you think that he can do this? He can finish that creative work, that new creative work? It'd be one thing for, for us to say, God, I'm, I'm so thankful that you justified me, you declared me righteous, but as for me getting power or victory over this sin in my life, I, I, just, I don't see where that's coming from. I don't see how this relationship's going to change. I don't see that there's any hope for this situation or that situation. I don't see how you're going to do it. But I'm thankful. I'll be with you in eternity, and that'll be good enough. Wait a minute. Don't you realize that God is active? He's, re, he's renewing you right now. He is a God of redemption. He is the one who changes you which is a great thing. I need to change. You need to change. But he's also able to change other people. That's why we have confidence to pray for a change of heart for those gangbangers down in Haiti. God is able to do that. What do we think? We, he can't do it. He's somehow limited by, by international borders or, oh, those are gangbangers. <laughs> those uh, take extras. I don't think, Jesus, you're, you're not sufficient for those gang, gang, but, excuse me, Christ paid the penalty for sinners who would call upon him, who would rest in him. He is able to save and deliver. In fact, that kind of leads us into this next verse that we will look at rather quickly because it just celebrates the fact that anybody, anybody can come to the Lord. There's no reason for boasting in in a lot of these different uh, examples that he's going to present to us. There's no reason for us even to have the the enmity against people that we we would somehow think that, well— Excuse me, obviously I'm better than you and I didn't do what you did in your hedonistic pagan life. I'm a much better person myself, actually, and there's a reason why God chose me because of what he saw in me. There's no reason for boasting. If we're going to boast in anything, we boast in what Christ has done, who Christ is, and we realize I'm, I'm zero. I've got nothing. I contribute nothing to my salvation. I work with God. I work alongside with him, Philippians 2 uh, 12 and 13 says, but, but it, it's something that, that's a gift. It is, it's God doing that renewal work. It's God giving His Holy Spirit. It's God giving me the hope. It's God giving me the, the, the destination even to become like Christ, being conformed to His image, being made more like Him, that when we see Him, we'll be like Him. That's just a, an amazing thought. I mean, look at us. 
We are creatures of dust. There's, there's a reason why uh, funerals end with a graveside service, because you don't want that dead body around much longer. We love that person. We appreciated their life, but there, there's no life in that body anymore. Life is gone. We thank God for his, his work in there, but dead bodies go in the grave. The old man has gone to the grave, but there's a new a new man being renewed to the true knowledge, not just a partial knowledge, but a true full knowledge. This renewal, as he says here in verse 11, is not a respecter of persons. It is not something that, that we can somehow uh, claim that, that, God, you owed me this. Really, uh, I, I earned my salvation. In fact, I, I really didn't need it, but I'm glad that you offered it to me anyway. I, I thought I was a fine person, you know, really didn't do much bad thing. Haven't you heard these things? From, from yourself even, that, uh, which, which then leads into the question, well, what have I done to deserve this in my life? Why is this suffering coming into my life? Why is, why is this happening? Why does this news come to me? Because God is good, because God is sovereign, because God's purposes are being accomplished in this wicked world that he is conforming us to his image. Is there any other reason? It's not to say that somehow God has forgotten us. He's turned his back on us for a moment. He says, whoa, I, <laughs> Look what happened while I was away. You know, the, the, how was the saying go? The, uh, when the cat's away, the mice will play or something? No, when God never is absent. He is never uh, not exercising his lordship over every aspect of our lives. Climate change? God is, is faithful over that. Is there climate change? I have no idea. What's going on the backside of the moon? Not just the Chinese probes and stuff, but, but what is going on the backside of the moon? What about those asteroids? Oh, there are asteroids coming to eradicate the earth. We're going to die. Well, did God say the earth was going to be destroyed by an asteroid? When the disciples went to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Well, of course Jesus cared. He was in the boat. But Jesus was not going to die by drowning. That's not in the book. That's not what the scripture says. He would be hanged on a tree. He'd be crucified. That's how he's going to die. Nobody's going to die on my watch. Don't Wind and waves, you just quiet down. And you guys, why are you so little faithed? Why have you, where is your faith? Where is your confidence in me? The reason that we have any hope, any confidence, any reason for living another day is because of what God is doing, this renewal. Verse 11, a renewal that, that we don't take any credit for. It says here, a renewal in which there is no, a renewal where there is no basis for these kind of distinctions that he's mentioning here. There's no reason for for boasting. Again, in that Colossian um, uh, situation that Paul's writing this letter to to address, there were issues of um, elitism that people thought they were better than the other persons because of either their heritage, who you know who they were born, you know what family they were born into, or because of different works that they had done. Circumcision was a big thing back in chapter 2, law-keeping, uh, because they claimed um, superior knowledge, special insight. Hey, follow me. I've got some, some, uh, some secret, uh, mystical kind of stuff that only initiates into our secret little society can, can know and appreciate and understand. Uh, or those who maybe have a little higher social standing than other people. You know, I am the master here. I'm the Lord. I'm the, I'm the one who, you know, the Lord of the manor or whatever. And Paul says, no, none of those things matter. Which is, is, it's a humbling thing because we're all equal before the Lord. Now, we're all equal before the Lord. We all need the same thing, but we are also able to receive the same thing. It's not just, remember in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God and salvation 
for the Jew first and last? Just to the Jews? No, to the Jews first and then also to the Greeks or the Gentiles. So, wow, so the salvation. Jesus is a Jewish savior. He's the Jewish Messiah, but he is the savior of everybody who puts their faith in him. These boundaries, these barriers, Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, they are real in this life, but they have no bearing on the potentiality, the ability to receive salvation from God, and they have no bearing ultimately on how we interact with each other. We, you know, we come in the door to the church building. We're not checking your papers. Say, okay, what's your heritage again? We're, what nation? What you, are you a, a, what is the word? Um, naturalized or, or born uh, American citizen? Uh, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to check your, your uh, DNA registry, your genealogy. We want to see if there's any, you know, scumbags and, and rabble rousers in your background. Cause otherwise, you know, even to the fourth and 18th generation, we're going to, we're going to weasel you out. We don't want your, like, your people around here. Oh, if we did that, what kind of church would we be? Self-righteous, unsaved, unregenerate, not based on God's word. Paul says that we'd be empty. Is that what you said? Yes, we'd be empty because we're all guilty. There's no distinction between Greek and Jew. This is the idea. One person, Vody Bauckham said it. He was talking, teaching at a racism conference a few years ago. He said, are there multiple races or just two? And he said, wait a minute, what? Just two? Well, really, scripturally speaking, Jew or Gentile, you, you realize that was a, and continues to be a stark contrast. Either you are Jewish or you're not Jewish, which kind of is, is a rather uh, minimalistic or, or simplistic, but that's the way it was. God's people through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are God's people. The Jews, they're the chosen people. God made promises to them. He's fulfilled many of them. He will fulfill more of them, all of them, uh, in, in due time. But if you're not in Jew in the in Jacob, the the Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, then you're outside of that. And Paul says in Ephesians two, I won't take time to look at it. Ephesians two, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. You were outside of the commonwealth of Israel. You were without God, without hope in the world. It's not a good situation to be. Through the Jews come the word of God, the, the prophets, the apostles, even uh, the the. The Messiah comes from the Jewish line, House of David. It's interesting how we read at the end of Ruth that uh, Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David, who's king of Israel. Wow, and then from David comes Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. It used to be that Greek and Jew would be an ethnic identity you would boast in. I'm a Jew. I'm, even as Paul said in, in Philippians 3, you know, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a, of the tribe of Benjamin, born and circumcised eighth day, which brings us into this next idea. Not just ethnic or, or matters of heritage are, are irrelevant now. Matters of religious practice are ignored. They're not important now. Circumcised or uncircumcised. That's that, and it's not even just male, because obviously just males are circumcised. We studied that back in, in chapter two. But that doesn't matter. Uh, Paul says, I think it's, he says it a couple of different times, different ways. I think it's in Galatians where he says, uh, circumcision or uncircumcision does not matter, but a new creation. Whoa. Well, that's what I am. So I qualify. I'm a new creation in Christ. So it doesn't matter that status, that religious works-based status, uh, and or not being guilty of, of, of not following God's rule. So he says there's no distinction then between ethnic identity or religious practice. And then he goes on and lists barbarian or Scythian. It's interesting, just a little uh, Greek lesson here. That C in the, in the, in that word 
is a kappa or a K in, in Greek, so it should be pronounced with a hard, hard k, Scythian. But you can say it Scythian. I've said it Scythian too. But these, these barbarians and Scythians, Scythians, either way, however you say it, are, or have to do with a matter of intelligence or education or maybe culture and society, that kind of stuff. A barbarian, uh, according to the Greek world, and this is first century AD Greco-Roman, because Rome, of course, had come in and conquered all the, the formerly Greek uh, world, and now so it's the Greco-Roman world. But anybody who didn't speak Greek as a language, a spoken language, or potentially to read it, was considered a barbarian. If you're not a, a, a Greek speaker, then you are just a, a babbler, just a you, you're an uneducated a buffoon, and and you live if you don't live in the, uh, the the homeland of Greece and of Rome itself, the holy city and whatever else, then you're a barbarian. We, you know, God bless you, but get away from me. And so there's that that sense of the the couth and the uncouth, or the cultured and the uncultured, and even the the distinction here between barbarian and Scythian. Uh, a, a barbarian is one who doesn't speak Greek. A Scythian is one who doesn't even know how to read. They had no written language. Scythians, there's, there's some, there's actually quite a bit known about the, this people. It's an ancient people group, probably from, from what is modern-day Iran and Persia, northern Iran. They were uh, uh, horse uh, horsemen par excellence, so very good uh, horsemen. They were uh, nomadic and tribalistic, so they really didn't have a place where they settled down. Their, their kingdom was where the king was, and they had multiple kings, and they had celebration of that. They were known for quite savage, brutal uh, warfare tendencies. Uh, just one example: whenever they would kill an enemy, and, and they they would go and take the top of the of the skull and make a, a fine drinking vessel out of it, and, you know, put it in gold and so forth, and drink from the, the skulls of their enemies. Yuck! Uh, that's disgusting. But that's who these Scythians were. It is interesting. And how did this come to be? What is what's the the background of it? Actually, just. I think it was this year, maybe in March, there was a finding, I forget the timing of it now, but there was a finding of a Scythian arrowhead in Jerusalem, Israel, that goes back to the time of the Babylonian assault against Jerusalem, uh, like 606 to 586. There was a series of three uh, sieges and, well, three um, attacks against the city. And it could be that the Scythians were not Babylonian, but they were hired mercenaries, hired hands, perhaps, that, that Nebuchadnezzar uh, hired to you know, fight against these, these crazy Judeans. And we have evidence of, of an arrowhead from their, their thing. But also the city of Bethshan, you've heard of Bethshan, that's where um, Saul and his, his uh, children, Jonathan and, and the others, were hanged on the side of the, the city wall of Bethshan, which is just south of the Sea of Galilee, uh, as, a, as a shame when the Philistines uh, conquered the Israelite army. That city, Bethshan, is also called Scythopolis. Scythopolis. Named after the Scythians. Named after these people who somehow came down and were attached to that that uh, area. And um, more could be said about them. They, As a people group, they kind of uh, eventually assimilated into other people groups and as as a people group, as an ancient people group, they don't exist anymore, which is interesting because that happened to pretty much everybody. We don't see a lot of Philistines or uh, Edomites or 
Hittites, or, but we do see Israelites. We do see descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which again proves God's faithfulness and uh, promises to them. The point being here, it doesn't matter about your ethnic origin, doesn't matter about your religious experience, doesn't matter about your cultured, educated uh, idea. I mean, really, that was flying in the face of those false teachers in Colossae who thought, we have special knowledge, we have higher insight, come to us, we will teach you these things, not as much as we know, but certain things, more than you you know now. And Paul said, it doesn't matter, you can be a barbarian or a Scythian. It doesn't matter, Christ is all and in all. This last contrast is throughout Scripture, slave and free. Either you're a slave, which is to be the property of somebody else, and you think, oh, that's... Who wrote that? That's just an American thing. Oh, slavery is an American institution, right? Are you kidding me? It's thousands of years old. It goes back to before the first century. In fact, it's interesting. We don't know hard numbers, but uh, in the first century AD, uh, the estimated population of the city of Rome was about a million people. And of those million, a third of them were slaves, which at one point, this is, this is somebody, some bureaucrat's good idea. Hey, let's have all the slaves kind of wear uh, badges or, or, or some demarcation to know that they're slaves, which then people thought that probably wouldn't be a good idea because then they would realize how many of them they are and they would probably revolt, which if you've seen the movie Spartacus, uh, they did revolt. And that was just one example of a slave revolt. But the point here is it doesn't matter what your social status is. So not just heritage and ethnicity or religious works or your education or, or cultured level, but even where you are in the social system. You could be a, a son of a king, you could be the king himself. You could be a pauper, doesn't matter. You can be one who was, was born into slavery or sold into slavery. And slavery, by the way, in that culture and really throughout history, uh, was not a racial thing. Uh, Rome got most of their slaves through conquests and a lot of their army were slaves bound into uh, service, you know, really pressed into service, not because they wanted to, but because they were conquered and they had no other choice. So slavery is that issue that I'm not my own person. The contrast, of, of course, would be one who is free, one who has uh, all the, the rights and privileges of a free person. And Paul says it doesn't matter, your social status. This, of course, this idea, Paul will pick up again in at the end of chapter 3 and then at chapter 4, but it also has special bearing, I think, on another situation that Paul hasn't mentioned in this letter, but he writes a whole separate letter to address this issue, and that is the book of Philemon, or the letter to Philemon, that he, he, Paul writes to address a, a, a servant, a slave of Philemon that had escaped from him and somehow gotten to Rome, and not just gotten to Rome, but gotten to Christ, that Paul, through the ministry of the word Onesimus, was was saved. And now Paul says, Onesimus, you're a believer, but you need to go back to Philemon. We could read Philemon about that. So maybe Paul is saying, you know, ultimately it doesn't matter. Any of these distinctions don't matter in relation to Christ. Christ is all. Christ is the issue. It's not your, your things that I just mentioned. It's where are you in relation to Christ? Christ is everything. And he is in everything. Which is to say, if there's something that we're talking about, you know, political news or, or whatever it is, and Christ is not present, then we're not thinking rightly. We need to be renewed to a full knowledge, a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who's created him. We need to realize Christ is over these things. Christ's will, or through Christ, the will of God the Father is being accomplished. Christ will be honored and glorified. We rest in that knowledge and we say, wow, 
so I can live differently. I can trust you. These situations I have in my life or the animosity people have toward me, the issue is not me so much. I don't want people to be distracted from the gospel, to be distracted from Christ based on my attitude or, or my demeanor or, or the, the things that would characterize life or make me different. I want to be uh, a channel of, of blessing, a channel of people to, if the people are looking at me, that they would see Christ and be oriented toward Him, that I wouldn't distract from that message. And that's, that's, that's the issue. Where is Christ? He is the one. Paul celebrates it all throughout Colossians. Christ is supreme. Christ is sufficient. Christ is authoritative. Christ is exalted over all these things. And here again, in our personal identity, identity and in relation to how we, we interact with each other, Christ is where it's at. We'll see some further implications as we look in verse 12 and following and, and, uh, and subsequent times, but make much of Christ in your personal life. It's not enough to say, I, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. What does Christ mean to you today and on Tuesday morning and Wednesday night? At what, who is Christ? What is he doing? How is he changing your life? How are you different today than you were last week or two months ago or 14 years ago? How are you seeing God conforming you even more like the Lord Jesus Christ? And again, it has this kind of the up and down thing, but generally speaking, it ought to be, uh, as much as it depends upon us, God working his way in us more like Jesus. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for your prevailing, wonderful uh, word and how it changes our lives. We are being renewed according to a, or to a true knowledge. We pray that you'd uh, help us to be conformed not to the world. How foolish would that be? But to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Please help us to honor the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord, Master, as Redeemer, as our friend as our elder brother to whom we are being conformed. Please save any here that are not in Christ. Please sanctify us all to be made more like Christ. And we look forward to the day, that day when we will be with Christ forever. Celebrating that righteousness, that joy, that holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Thank you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>